0: As you know, it is for all of us beginning today to declare the praises of Him who sent us. Beloved Reverend Clergy of our Metropolis, honored members of the Metropolis Council and esteemed women of the Metropolis Philophilus Council, honored lay representatives of our parish Councils, and distinguished delegates of the Sisterhood of the Philophilus, Beloved Family in Christ, to all of you, I welcome you with paternal love and gladness to this opening of the Metropolis of Detroit's 2015 Clergy Lady Assembly and Philosophus Conference. We come together today as a family of God, spread across seven states and around 50 parishes, distant in miles, but close in spirit and in our love for the Lord. And his people. I know that this morning has already been a time for greeting old friends and making new ones. I trust that the coming days and hours will see us, have an opportunity to visit and to know each other more closely, and that we can talk about the things that the Holy Spirit of God is doing in our lives and in our parishes. We ask that this gathering be a time not for gossip but for good news, not for bad-mouthing but for brainstorming, not for cynicism but for enthusiasm. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who makes all things possible, grant us a renewed strength, a renewed commitment to His Church and His mission through the interactions with one another, through the kind words and deeds that we share here in Troy, and may our hearts be open to Him at this hour and this place. For I am here today, and you, you are here today, not by our own authority or your decision. Each of us has been commissioned to come to participate in the gatherings of this week, whether by a colloquial chapter, or a parish council, or under a patriarchal <laughs> charter. We are here as the ones who have been sent on a mission. We are emissaries with a purpose and a goal, and beyond the human dimension of our commission, we each have a divine purpose for our presence here this week. It is God that has brought us together, each one of us, from our hometowns and states. It is God who has sent us. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, we have come not to do our own will, but the will of the one who sent us. And what is the will of the Father for us? Not just for this week, for our meetings here, but even next week back home and in the months to come. It is something so simple, so natural, so basic to our human nature. Let me ask the question in a different way. This morning, when you came into the hall last night, the day before, as you began arriving, you saw all the familiar faces, circulated around to meet and greet everyone. What did you do? We shook hands. We embraced. We kissed. We waved. I saw Anne Madame was waving to you across the room. Yes, you were Anne. And then what? You and I sat and we told stories. This is how we catch up with each other. It's how we re-establish the bonds of friendship and of love. We talk about the things that have been happening to us, to our families, to our churches, in our cities. We relate the events that have mattered most to us in these recent times. Later today, and again tomorrow, as we break bread together, or as we discuss topics during our meetings, we will tell more stories. To illustrate and illuminate our thoughts and feelings, our hopes and fears, our successes, and our failures. Telling a story is quintessentially a human activity. We have that ancient Greek heritage. When the poets of old, writing and singing the songs and stories of Odysseus and of Achilles, All the way to the present day, when we sit by the television and enjoy our favorite comedy or drama or detective show, we share stories. We trade the tales of our lives with one another as a way of bonding, making friends, forging alliances, fostering understanding and sympathy and support. Every priest here knows that nothing in a sermon drives the point home better than a well-crafted story. Is this not precisely what the Lord Jesus did as He walked among the people of Galilee? Constantly He spoke in parables, He told stories. He told stories with a lesson. When we talk to our children about the saints of the church, how do we begin? Do we not tell a story from their lives? We explain why we do the St. Basil's bread, by the coins hidden in the bread. We talk about St. Barbara on the three windows that confessed in a visible fashion her love for God. We talk about that mysterious icon of St. Panurios that appeared, and then we tell about making a panoroga. We, as Orthodox Christians, have stories that we share. And so I would ask today, I would ask that we all carefully consider this question. What is the most important story in our life? What is the story that says most about who we are, who you are, who I am as an individual? For some of us, some of us, it might be how we met the love of our life and got married others, it might be a story of a tremendous challenge, a story of struggle, a story of triumph. For our clergy, it could be the story of their calling to the priesthood, how they found their way to stand before God's holy altar. But there is another possibility. Those stories are stories of joy and gladness, triumphant stories. But there are equally powerful stories, the stories that we have of failure, of mistake, and of sin. I can name for you a woman for whom this was so. You know her too. We hear her story on the fifth Sunday after Pascha. It's the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman that met Christ by the well. He asked for water, and so began a conversation, at first tense, then confrontational, and finally revealing. The Lord revealed this woman's checkered past, and in response to her wonderment, He revealed that He was the promised Messiah, the very one that both Jews and Samaritans were waiting for. And what do you think she did when confronted with the reality of her sad, sinful story? She went and told her story. Come, she said, see a man who told me all that I ever did. And having encountered the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, she went to her friends and neighbors and declared his praises. She told them what had happened to her what God had done for her, how she had been blessed at an unexpected time, in an unexpected place by an unexpected person. She had a story, and she told it. Who was this woman? Was she an apostle? No. An educated theologian teaching at a famous rabbinical school? No. Was she trained as a public speaker? No. Was she a person of special holiness? No. She was in fact an extraordinarily only special in one thing. She couldn't stay married to the same man for long. She moved on. It has been suggested that if there were a Facebook at that time. (laughs) She may have had a few problems on relationship sex. (laughs) Maybe she would have gotten a few likes and perhaps she would have been unfriended. That's what would have happened. The story of her life was not a story of success but a failure and of repeated failure. But the important thing is that the story ends ultimately with the triumph and the mercy of God and His power as the promised Son of God finds this lowly woman in that remote village of Samaria and chooses her to be His messenger and His witness down through the ages. She came to that well in disgrace, and she left in His grace. And that became the story of her life she had a story and she told it she didn't hide her light under a bushel she didn't make excuses for herself so she could stay silent boldly she declared the praises of the one who sent her she had been called out of the darkness of error and sin into the marvelous light of god's spirit and truth Out of a heart overflowing with gratitude, she spoke of her Savior and Lord to all who would hear her. My brothers and sisters in Christ, beloved clergy and lay leaders of our church, each one of us has been called out of darkness into that same marvelous light of Christ. Each one of us has been sent by our Savior to declare His praises, for the wonderful things he has done for us. And we each have a different story. It might be a story of a special help or a healing. I saw a council member demonstrate how his knees now work just a few days ago. It might be a story of strength through times of weakness, a story of courage in times of fear of hope in times of despair, it might be a story that is not, first of all, too complimentary to ourselves, but one that ultimately shows forth the kindness and the condescension of our good God. You and I, we have to tell our stories. We must declare the praises of the one who has encountered us. Perhaps he didn't see us at a well. Maybe he didn't see us. At the sanctuary. Perhaps it was in a hospital room. Maybe it was in a funeral home. On the highway, when we're driving alone and thinking about what's coming up. Maybe it was in a dream. Maybe we heard that voice. Maybe we felt the reality of God as we stood before the icon of Christ in the sacrament of confession. Wherever we were. Wherever we are, we are called to declare the praises of the one who has found us, the one who has made us to be the witnesses and heralds of his love and grace. We must declare God's praises to our families and our children. Stop and think about the questions that we are asked every year by our children and our friends at Pascha. Mom, why do I need this candle? Do I have to get the decorated one, the red ribbon one? The children, why? You have to answer. Dad, why do we have red eggs at Easter? And if I win, do I still have to eat the egg? <laughs> How come we have to go to church at midnight? Don't they know people sleep at this <laughs> time? yaya, why do you always say Christmas? Friends, Our friends would tell us, oh, you, you, the colloquialism, you Greeks, you always eat lamb at Easter. Why? Through the questions and the answers, we are able to tell the story of the Son of God who came to save us. We can tell of his light to the world of the empty tomb and the song of victory. These simple questions give us a starting point to tell the story of salvation and of God's love for us. Now we have to remember it is not enough for our children and our grandchildren and our godchildren to hear the story of salvation for the 30 minutes. They might be in church on Sunday or go to Sunday school. What is even more important is that they hear the victory of Pascha in their homes and around their tables. must hear it as something that gives identity and purpose to their own family and kin. We must tell the story. We must declare the praises of Him who sent us. God sends us as witnesses, not only to our families and our children, but also to our fellow parishioners. He sends us to the people we like and the people we don't like. Isn't it strange? Stop and think. Sometimes the place we are most shy about talking about our faith is within our church. How many of us have gone to church and spoken to others about God? We don't. We come in, we do our cross, we sit, we leave. Within the very house, God's house, we are not accustomed to telling the story of His love and to sharing it with each other. We're afraid. Somebody's gonna tell us, ah, He's a fanatic. He's talking about God all the time. We can be slow sometimes to declare the praises of God to those who should be ready to listen and to say Amen. Father Psychis is not here right now. I have this interjection for you in Buffalo last week. The Anglican Orthodox dialogue was occurring. and because I'm from Detroit and I began saying "Amen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the Anglican bishops, and you did not know what was happening, I'd say, "Amen, Lord is <laughs> God." And finally, in the bus, they told me that's the most impressive thing we've ever heard, a bishop saying, "Amen,." <laughs> it was interesting, but we have to say Amen. Ready? Amen. It's a sad truth. We can sit through hours and hours of meetings in our own parishes and never once hear the name of Christ spoken in an expression of gratitude or praise except perhaps in the opening prayer by the priest. After that, you didn't do this, you spent waiting for me. In his own house, his name is not shared by us with each other. I must tell you how delighted I was recently in visiting one of the parishes of the metropolis to hear the parish council president speak simply but openly about the sense that Christ was at work in the community and in the ministry of the new priest. Let us then... Claim our freedom in Christ and dare to speak more openly of our faith to our fellow parishioners. Let his name and his praises be heard in our midst more and more. Will there be those who snicker and roll their eyes? Of course. They will. But there will be even more of our own people who will hear their fellow faithful member of the parish speak the name of Christ in love and be drawn to know him better. So often nowadays, we look to strategic plans and administrative flowcharts. We're working on that in the archdiocese. We can present 150-page programs of how to make the church better. We have capital campaigns running. We We can cure the woes of the church, we think. But maybe the medicine that we really need is simply for more of us to receive a tongue of courage and wisdom, so that we openly declare and unabashedly declare a word of personal faith and love for the Lord. It is, I believe, a solution we have never really tried. We should consider how we can, each one of us, from here go back to our parish councils and our beloved chapters and declare the praises of the one who sent us to this gathering today, and who from this gathering sends us back to our homes to be his witnesses. And if this thought frightens us to speak of Christ to our fellow Christians, how will we ever complete our commission of declaring the praises of the Lord to our friends and neighbors, to those we know and don't know, to those who we like and don't like, for all are called by God. How will we go around to the people in our neighborhoods, at work, in school, and to our circle of friends, if we cannot, for whatever reason, say his name and share his story of love with us? Perhaps in our own minds we make the task more difficult than it really is. Jesus is not calling us to give an elaborate exegesis of the gospel story. He is not demanding that we have an answer to every question of the skeptics. Christ is not calling us to stand on soapboxes and debate all those who pass by. That's Times Square, New York City. This is what he asks, and simply this, that we be willing to say to anyone who will hear, God has done this for me. Perhaps your spouse was sick, and God, hearing your prayer, Gave healing. Perhaps a child was in trouble. We prayed to God and he gave us faith and courage to get through the problem. Perhaps our business was hurting. We sought God's blessing. We asked the priest to come and bless our store, our office, our home. He did it and things changed. Perhaps we went through a time of temptation. We remembered God's commandments and His promises, and came through that time by His help. Perhaps it is that our faith at times is failing, but we have left our hearts open to the presence of God. He found us, and He has given us assurance and strength. For each one of us, my friends, the story is different. It's a different story. It could be a different story of darkness, a different path out of the darkness, but it is always the same marvelous light that we share at Pascha. That same light that leads us to God and His kingdom. The same transformation of our disgrace into His grace. What the Lord told to men and women in days of old during His earthly ministry, He tells to us today, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And they were sent to declare His praises. So we are sent today to our families, to our children, to our parishioners, to our friends, our neighbors, and to all who will hear. There is one another to whom we must declare God's praises, and that is the Lord Himself. We must be people of prayer. Prayer not only in the sense Of asking things from God day after day, we're good at that. But prayer in the sense of giving thanks and adoration to God for His mercies that are new to us each morning. Sometimes we talk and talk and talk to each other about the problems and challenges and failures of our churches. We never get around to talking about God, to talking with God about. The church belongs to him and not to us. We think we're the micromanagers. We have to give him the praise first before we can receive the grace to solve the problem. And the problem doesn't always lie in another committee. It lies first in our ability to proclaim boldly and without fear that he is the Lord. That is what will make a change in this world. I'm going to interrupt my talk. You know we're seeing the statistics of how many young people are not returning back to the church. How can they? When have we helped them learn to confess with strength from our own homes that this makes sense? It is not simply an issue we need new Sunday school books. You do need new Sunday school books. It is not simply an issue that the children have to be a little bit more in church. Yes, please come and you know, 9.45 instead of 11.45 to church. Put them in. You no, know, if there's no Sunday school, we don't go to church. We can't do that. doesn't work. We have to understand that if we cannot give to our young people as adults, as grandparents, as aunts, as uncles, as bishops, as priests, if we cannot give to them a witness and testimony, that God exists and He moves and He has changed our lives and that His witness is true. What are we expecting them to do? Where are we expecting them to go? We want the priest and the show, you have to follow you have to solve it. No. We have to solve it. All of us together have to be a witness of God's grace and his mercy. You can come and listen, to Father Dean's gonna have his catechesis, but you have to don't repeat it at home. It's lost. It's only for church. You have to make the church in the home as well to take that message and bring it home. And when it fills the house, the children will be emboldened differently. We talk and talk about problems and challenges and failures but we never get around to talking about to talking with God about the church that belongs to Him and not to us. I said that twice now. We have to talk to Him too. But before we pour out our pains and troubles, we have to share a word of grace with each other about God's love for us, for He is Master and Redeemer. As we convene our Metropolis clergy lady assembly and beloved conference, I know that one of the weightiest topics for this week will be how can we grow there is only one way. Growth does not happen in the vacuum of meaning. Growth happens when there is purpose and determination. If we want to grow, we have to have a message and we have to make known that message. This is not just a task for the bishop and the priests. This is a task for all of us in some way, in some capacity. We have a story to tell about how God loved us so much that he came as one of us in order to die for us. And to open for us a way back to Him. Every other story we share goes back to this same story of God's love, His grace, and His mercy. For this is the story of our worth and value, of our divine likeness and potential. We live in a society that tells a different story. According to today's thought, it is a story of human meaninglessness and worthlessness. We are mere accidents of nature through cosmos on a trip to who knows where, we are a product of blind forces and chance. Our lives give the illusion of meaning, but our world arose from chaos and will descend again into the abyss of nothingness. And in the meantime, we can only hope to distract ourselves from the pain of purposelessness and lack of real existence. Look around you. Isn't this the meaning, the message that we're hearing in our world at times? And when we hear it, how are we responding? Listen to, see what's going on in modern art and music. Yes, I can't listen to a lot of the rappers. Look at the reality of our current philosophies and political movements. Do as you will. Anything you want is fine, because we cannot say that you're wrong. Because it doesn't make any difference anyway, since tomorrow we will die. This is a pretext for the epidemic of exhibitionism and promiscuity. It is a motive behind genocide and infanticide and suicide. Human life has no value, no purpose, no destiny no ultimate meaning, grab pleasure and power while you can, before you sink back again into non-existence. It is against this monstrous deception we have the truth of our story and of our stories. Our story that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to rescue all humanity from death and restore us to Himself and our stories every episode of our lives, the stories that we share about what has happened to us and how we have been changed by God's grace and His goodness. The message is one and the same, and it is a message that our fellow man prays to hear. We are, each one of us, important. We are of great value. We have meaning and purpose and a destiny. The stories of God's work in our life are not mere anecdotes. They are the gospel itself, perhaps in a different form. (laughs) Be bold. Be bold, my people, and declare the praises of him who sent you here today and who will send us all back to our homes and workplaces and neighborhoods again. Declare his praises, and you will see his hand at work once more in your families, in your parishes, in your towns and in your cities, and in our world. We must declare His praises. We must speak. But in order to speak, my friends, there's a second piece. We have to listen. The story of the Samaritan woman started out with does not end with her declaring the praises of Christ to her neighbors. There is more to the story. Along with her neighbors, along with her fellow villagers, she returns to the Lord at the well. They ask Him to stay and be with them and teach them. And we read in Scripture, many more believe because of His Word. He taught. They listen, they learn, and they declare. If you and I declare the praises of God, people will take notice. And they will come and see. They will be hungry for the sense of meaning and purpose of life that we can possess. And they will want to know and learn for themselves. So the question is, who will answer the questions? Who will tell them the whys and wherefores of the way you and I, as Orthodox Christians, relate to God? Who will give them these answers? We, you, the the lay people, the priests, the bishops, all of us together. We must be able to tell our friends and our neighbors, our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, the basic principles of our Orthodox faith and practice. It is not for the priest or the bishop alone. We anticipate, well, Father, you have to teach them. Yes, Father can instruct them. You have to teach them, too. You have to be the living example in your home of what is going to happen. And so you must listen, that you can give answer to some of the questions that will come to you. This is why we have arranged in this clergy lady as we transform this metropolis to the idea of evangelization to first evangelize ourselves. One of the reasons that we have the greatest difficulty in growing is that if somebody comes to visit your church, my, one of the was under my authority, they come to visit and they ask, why do you believe in the Bible? Most of our people, not because they're not loving, they haven't been educated how to give a thoughtful answer back. And if you and I can't explain why we believe what we believe in simple terms to the people who walk in, why would they want to come and be part of a church where nobody knows what they're doing? It's not because you're not bright, it's not because we're not loving. It's simply because that very often, very often, and you know that in our history, we were Orthodox. My, my parents baptized me on That's appropriate, because the idea is not that they just baptized you. The idea is that now they must raise you in the faith as well. And that sometimes is what we forgot. Most of our people would have difficulty answering, you know, ten basic church history questions. It's not because we don't love you. We have failed to as well. The bishops, the clergy, the seminaries, our parish councils, our parents, we have all forgotten that we're responsible together and we must have a reasonable answer for why we believe what we believe. For this reason, we have arranged for some of our priests of the Metropolis to speak in our teaching sessions, to give you some basic information on our Orthodox Church and its history and ways of worship and approach to Scripture. The goal is not to give you a seminary education. I'm not expecting you all to come out with Masters of Divinity degrees. The goal is to give you the ability to offer thoughtful responses the beginner's question that will come to you because you and I are God's messengers and and emissaries. It is that simple teaching. It is the reality that if we know why the icons are important, we can say a few sentences. Others will say, that makes sense. Not simply to say, well, we're orthodox, we have icons. So, it doesn't make sense. We have all, we have all a story to tell. And I'm gonna tell you a story from myself. Some of you have heard it. I hope I don't choke up. And here we go. This is the close. It's a story from my childhood. We lived in a city about 50 miles away from our Greek Orthodox parish. My father worked probably mostly six to seven days a week, trying to eke out an existence between Mapoose Candy Store and a factory he was trying to work at. The factory was a half hour away, and we're talking in the 50s and 60s. It's not easy then. It's not the same thing as it is today. And. Every now and then, my father would inform us, tomorrow we're going to church. Couldn't be every Sunday because he didn't, we we'll only have one part. Mother did not drive, was not allowed to drive, thank you. I was told that when we were young, she hit a tree so she didn't want to drive anymore. That's what I was told, but I don't know. <laughs> so mother would never drive because she was afraid something could happen with the kids. I don't remember that, but that's what I was told. So we had the one car, and there was a dad to drive us, and if we went, of course, and we had to drive about an hour and 15 minutes from the way, because it wasn't a highway, it was, you know, regular roads. Uh, We went, we were not allowed to eat anything, we had to get up, we had to leave our house by uh, 8.30 to the quarter of 9 in the morning, to be at the church by 10, my father's a big there by 10. We got there at 10, and we had to watch, because we didn't have extra money, and... You know, after church there might be a coffee, a little bit of a cocktail, but dad knew the three boys and the sister were hungry. If he didn't have extra cash, we weren't going to church because he had to pay for breakfast coming back. It was an issue. Well, those realities didn't stop us from attending church. My father was Adam. My father was he, he wanted to be on the parish council. My father became a member of the parish council. He would drive down at night later on when he owned his, his own store and didn't have the factory. He was driving at night and, you know, he'd come back late. We very rarely saw him when we were growing up. But he was committed to the church. When I was in the seminary, he would take my canon law book and read it to see if the priest was doing something wrong. <laughs> that was my father. He wanted to make sure that things were done right. That was his issue. He couldn't tell you why we believed what we believe, but he knew because his parents, my grandparents, came over from the Ganesha well, the Islands. When my grandfather came over, he was technically a Turkish citizen. When my grandmother came over, we had changed, she was Greek because the Lausanne the Treaty had occurred, so she was coming over, as Greek. That's what he wanted, and that was fine a the real example of what happened, and that is the reason. It's the reason. Excuse me. The reason I can stand here today. Is mom. Now, mom went to high school in Greece. She was born in America, went to Greece, came, got stuck there during the war, and came back at Flew Fluent in I was amazed when I saw my mother talking with Patriarch uh, Demetrius for one hour. I had never seen anything like that. But she never showed us that. I mean, we never saw it when we were children. What she did, especially on those summer nights when our, we had screens in the house. We in New York. We don't have air conditioning the house. Yeah, no, my father was a handyman fixing the house. You understand what that meant. <laughs> so, uh, but it fit us. It fit us. My mother would come upstairs at night after sunset sit on the corner of one of the beds, three boys and a girl and she would talk about church a few things. she would say something about God and then she prayed and the prayer was simple. in Greek and English she would start out morning and you heard the little kid. All of us in the darkness hearing the voice of our mother. There was not profound theology. She graduated high school. She wasn't a the theologian. She didn't have any flowery words. There were simple words and simple prayers. Batriwan. That's not how I said it, but heartfelt and with regularity. The force of her simple declaration of God's praises in our hearing was a witness that no one else could do, as she gave glory to God in the presence of her children while Dad was away at work. In our hearings we heard a witness of love and work that touched us to the core <clears throat> and those lights in my mind have got She wasn't on the parish council she could care less about the rudder and canon law like my father but it was her words and her quiet actions that made the impact on my life each of us has the same awesome power to touch the lives of others with love, and to touch the hearts of those around us. We have but to speak. It can be prayers simple like my mom's. It can be the Samaritan woman's confession of sin and disgrace that changed her life forever and made her remembered forever in the gospel of salvation. It could be the simple confession of the centurion at the foot of the cross, who he is. In words plain and simple and sincere. Declaring the praises of the Lord who loved us. The one who sent us to share that love with the world.